This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome along to another tennis podcast, our second of the week. We're not quite daily, but uh, we're pushing towards that daily throughout the year mark that David Law dreams of. Uh, David, hello. How are you doing? Hello. I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Very well. Matt is back. Matt, Yay! it is an absolute treat to have you back. We missed you terribly. Uh, we've had multiple rows this week, and we're very pleased to have you back on the pod. How are you doing? Hello, yes. Pleased to be back. And I think what sealed it was last night's WhatsApp chat between you two. And I thought, I need to reprise my peacekeeping role as a matter of urgency. Yeah, there was a chat that ended with David just saying, right, I'm going to bed. Good night. And uh, 60 seconds later, a load of angry passive aggressive pole vaults appearing on our twitter which was david expressing his anger at me in a very grown-up way apparently david objects in principle to the use of the eye roll emoji yes i do Mm. (laughs) yes Mm. i don't object to it being a thing i just don't want to be on the uh, end of it seems like you do object to it being a thing you don't want it to be used not against me no Okay. We were muted, Catherine. Yeah. So they, <laughs> Sorry, so Matt, there you I, go. I dragged you down with me there. <laughs> Listeners, you know, you can do what you like. No eye roll emojis in my direction, all right? Or it's over. Yeah. He 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 tells no lies, folks. He really means business where the eye roll emoji is concerned. So that was the source of last night's aggro. Um I don't think there's been any tennis aggro this week there's been tennis though there's been very very good tennis so far this week we're gonna we're gonna recap some of it before we move on to more uh, questions curated by this week's guest editor simon pierce and we've got some real stonkers a lot of them from from you lot on twitter and instagram and and various are there any other social media facebook maybe does anyone do facebook anymore social media anyway um but first we must talk about tennis happenings 
um, because David, you maybe part of the reason you were particularly aggro about the use of the eye roll emoji is because you you dedicated a lot of your evening to the fortunes of Ons Jabeur, and it was all yeah. for naught. Yeah, yeah. Well, because anybody who signs up to the newsletter and read it yesterday would know that for a few short hours, I was uh, very much hopeful that Ons Javert was going to win the Doha title, as I predicted she would. And lo and behold, I turn on the telly, and she's a set and three love down against Karolina Pliskova, and it's all very quiet. And then she launched the most extraordinary fight back which I captured in four photos of her reeling off six of the next seven games. I mean, she was playing incredibly well, and I was full of hope at this point. Uh, I don't care who wins normally between these two. I just wanted to win myself, and uh, and in the end, Pliskova won. So my prediction lasted about six hours before it... Yeah, and I was, I was in a bad mood. I was tired. I'd been working hard all day, and it all went wrong, and then... Then you started up. <laughs> he wasn't happy for Karolina Pliskova, let's let's put it that way. Uh, good win for her, though. Very good win. Yeah, she, Nobody she wants did to talk well. about what a good win it was no, for she Karolina did, Pliskova. Actually, it's quite interesting as well, because before the match, I think she'd done a press conference, and they'd played each other a year ago, and Jabir had won, and there was a big kind of hoo-ha about the crowd being very pro on Stubera, understandably so, um, given her her background. And Pliskova really not liking this. And she actually said, described, she says the crowd there is brutal, um, which I must admit I'd never really thought of. In, in, you know, Doha can often be very quiet, but they really do love on Stubera. Um And she withstood it. She And she also withstood the boxer tricks of... Jabir coming back at her and everything else. I, I, she actually did really well to win that in the end. Mm. Yeah. But nonetheless, David, Jabir is out. Yeah. She's gone the way of your predictions hopes this week. Um, in other uh, stonking tennis match news from Doha, Muguruza beat Sabalenka 6-2, 6-7, 6-3. Matt, I think you watched this one live. I was lamenting the fact that it clashed with Andy Murray against Andrei Rublev and I was trying to keep an eye on the the latter stages. Um, uh, I believe your summary is good match, not good enough to miss dinner for. <laughs> What is? <laughs> Tell us what happened. I was watching the first two sets and then was was called for dinner, so I I had to catch up on the deciding set. Uh, if if I had it all my own way, I probably would have just kept watching, because it was an absolute cracker. Really, I mean, ridiculous that those two are meeting so early in the tournament. It's a consequence of the rankings being how they are at the moment. That Muguruza is still down at sixteen in the world, I think. I mean, to me, it feels like she's playing top five tennis right now. And Sabalenka's pretty much with her. Um, so intense, such a high level from start to finish. Muguruza was unplayable to begin with. 6-2, 2-love up, kind of thought she was going to wrap it up in straight sets. Really impressed with how Sabalenka hung in there. And she ended up serving for the second set, got broken twice. Muguruza served for the match. She got broken. Sabalenka won the tie break. And then Sabalenka went up a break in the third set. Muguruza got that back in a, I think, 15-minute game, something like that. And then was the fitter, stronger one down the stretch. That game sort of took the sting out of Sabalenka a bit. But um, 
yeah, just a, a great high quality match between two players who in a not well an an alternate universe but a possible one i feel like either of them could have been the australian open champion um given how well they were playing in melbourne and they sort of carried that through yeah just a just a great fight between two informed players the rankings are becoming a bit of a problem now i think I, not a problem i have a solution to and potentially not a problem that there is a solution to it might just be one of those you know, pandemic problems we all have to live with. Ah, oh, pandemic problems. Um, but they are glaringly an issue. And to the extent where I sort of disregard them as anything of relevance, the problem is that they determine seedings and they determine entry into tournaments. They, Whilst I can just say, oh, well, I disregard them. They don't matter to me. They, they do matter to the players. Mm. I have wondered for a while whether they could use the rankings to obviously impact acceptance into tournaments and then do something with the seedings to reflect what the rankings would be had there not been this best of system that they've implemented. Um, I know that the ATP are carrying on with their best of system, I think, until August. It's slightly tweaked, so it's not going to be 100% of the points that you earned in 2019 staying on your ranking. I think it's just going to be 50%. So there might be a little bit more movement. I've not seen anything from the WTA yet about what their plans are for the rankings. But yeah, I agree with you. It is, it's becoming more glaring. It's the sort of ATP equivalent of Rishi Sunak style extending the furlough scheme (laughs) until the autumn in a tapered down way, gradual tapering down. Uh, And that contivates having a time of it in Doha. She beat Jennifer Brady 6-1-6-2 and before that beat Angelique Kerber 6-1-6-4. I think she plays Petra Kvitova today. Right now, That will almost certainly have happened by the time you've listened to this. Yeah, as as I speak to you, um, she's, in fact, I think those two matches were the other way around. It was Brady who's straight off the flight from Australia and gets hammered one and two and then uh, Kerber 6-1 first set and, and... edged out in the second and then Contevate runs straight into Kvitova who reels off the first four games of the match I think it was in their match and they're currently level up at one set all uh, as as I talked to you so that match will be over by the time you're listening but another you know you, you just mentioned Muguruza and Sabalenka which I, I think probably is another level on from Contevate but she's closing the gap she is becoming more and more relevant and it just feels like this example of every WTA draw at the moment where you look down and you're not even you're at the quarterfinal stage and you've got matches that feel like finals. I mean this is approaching 2 hours. It's been a cracking tussle and there's two two more I think today like that. Um and the whole draw feels like that. And I absolutely love it. Everywhere you look there are just these great matches, pole vault worthy matches and um and just they're brilliant. Don't lower the tone, David. No need for that. Tennis well. uh, has also been happening. Men's tennis in Rotterdam. Uh, before we talk about the results, and there have been some interesting ones, let's talk about the court. Most successfully adapted pandemic tennis court yet. Discuss. Appearance-wise, 100%. Appearance-wise, Agreed. Yes. Yeah, it is great. It looks almost futuristic with the sort of green 
lasers or something around the side. The coaching boxes are, you described them as like a spaceship, Catherine. Yeah, it looks like Jamie Delgado strapped in uh, about to head for another planet. (laughs) (laughs) Really makes me laugh. (laughs) Yeah, there's a sort of nice box on a balcony and a theatre vibe to it as well. Um, The contrast of the green and grey, I think, works really well. It pops off the screen. Yeah, I've I've been so impressed by by what they've been able to put on there. It looks really nice to watch on the screen, which I haven't felt about tennis in the pandemic that often. Yeah, it's nice to see an enhancement of what there is rather than a, a dwelling on on what there isn't. Um, which is yeah, it's great. There've been some interesting results on that main court. Uh, Daniil Medvedev he lost out to Dusan Lajovic despite his no look backhand turn your back on the opponent with the rally still going situation, which I'm sure elicited an eye roll from Dusan Lajovic. Uh, and the universe got him back for his eye roll because he lost the point, but then he went on to lose the match. So I don't know what the moral of the story there is, re-eye rolls, but uh, Medvedev is out. Uh, Alexander Zverev lost to Alexander Bublik. That's, I mean, Bublik is good fun and flashy and sort of when he has a hot streak, he can really, really happen. Well, he's improving um, as well. He is improving, but I didn't I didn't expect that to happen. I have to say, I know you went to the Zverev press conference after that, David. Yeah, well, it's funny, you know, I, mean, I would have assumed Zverev would have won that as well. I would have thought he would be just too consistent and too relentlessly hard-hitting for Bublik, who, like I say, has has gone from being somebody who has tricks and, and flashy streaks to actually putting it together he is becoming a player now still in his own way but he's turning up regularly quite quite often now at at, at tournaments he's he's getting to latter stages um what was fascinating was that Zverev wasn't surprised in the slightest about the way this had gone he said in his press conference I have not won a practice set all week um, I've practiced twice a day. I have tried really hard. I've come here and I wanted to do well, but I, the, my performance today is not a surprise. He puts it down to the conditions. He's he's not having to go at the court, and he, and he was at pains to try to say I'm not slagging off the tournament because it's a great tournament. But he also sort of slagged off the tournament in in as much as he kind of said. I'm not the only one. All a lot of players are lining up outside the ATP office saying this. And his big gripe were the tennis balls, which I think are made by this week Technofiber in uh, Rotterdam. And he just said they're, they're they're really low bouncing, which is a problem for me with my height. Um, and there's just not enough behind them. And he was making a case, which a number of players have talked about in the past, of wanting to have a specific ball for a specific swing of tournaments. And he said that's not the case. Now, um, you know, it's, I always find it difficult to, to read too much into players that talk about tennis balls because I'm sure the ones who are winning absolutely love the tennis balls, you know, and um, and that may be, there may be a factor in there. But he was a shadow of the player that he normally is at indoor tournaments, Zverev. Um, and he was... Pretty pretty comfortably beaten. Nadal is constantly winning tournaments, complaining about the tennis balls, isn't he? That's his that's his signature move. Um, he's not alone, Zverev, in seeds being beaten. Batista Agut lost to Davidovich Fakina. Felix Auger Aliassime 
lost to Kane Ishikori, as did Alex uh, de Menor, losing out to Kane Ishikori in Rotterdam. I mean, when was the last time we talked about Kane Ishikori? Let's just let's just have a little moment and maybe offer Matt the opportunity to resurrect his big Nishikori prediction. It is never too late, Matt. Well, sadly, the very terms of the prediction suggest it's six years too late. Uh, and I uh, I predicted him to win a slam in 2015. Um, th- th- those particular 12 months? Yes. Mm. Oh. Yeah, so... Ne- You've got to learn from David. Keep it keep broad. it. Oh, I've yeah. I've learnt since then. <laughs> Have him taking breath away or something like that, and you can't really go wrong. <laughs> Will Kane Shikori, Matt, take our breath away one last time? He he is doing just that this week. <laughs> um, but I read it was his first. This is his first quarter final since Wimbledon 2019, which kind of makes perfect sense because it feels like we haven't talked about him since then. He played quite well in Australia. He just had really tough opponents. He played Medvedev and Schwartzman in the ATP Cup, and then he played Pablo Coenho Busta in round one of the Australian Open. So he he actually lost all those matches. But I I think his tennis was actually far better than it had been for a while, and he's he's really put it together this week. Auger-Aliassime was injured in that second set, some kind of hip or side strain or something. So couldn't read too much into that but against Dumanor he was he was excellent similar players trying to do similar things um most notably Nishikori has improved his serve he talked about how he changed his technique a little bit after he had that elbow trouble and he's also trying to he's trying to use less of his elbow and less of his shoulder so I'm not quite sure what he's using um <laughs> but it is working because it's it's a bit faster, a bit harder, and he was getting some Just cheaper sort of points. Keepy uppying the ball over the net, <laughs> and, it, and right. he's a great player to watch when he plays well. Nishikori, he can his, his yeah. ground strokes are so smooth and clean, and it was all it was all working for him. And he's in that section of the draw where all the seeds have gone out, so there's a there's yeah. a chance. For I mean, him. who's to say he couldn't win this tournament? Rorinka's gone, Goffin's gone. Um, the only two seeds uh, left are Rublev and Sitsipas. Uh, we'll come on to Rublev in a moment. Sitsipas, incidentally, is also still alive in the doubles, which you might think not big news. Well, for a number of reasons, this is big news. Um, he's partnering his brother Petros of ATP Cup fame, and would it be fair to say very little other fame? <laughs> I don't know what else he gets up to. Following Stefanos around the tour. Um, They had said that for each tour-level doubles match win uh, that he gets with his brother, he'll donate €3,000 to Mazi, and I apologise in in advance for this, Mazi Gia Topaidi, which is Together for Children, a charity whose mission is to provide immediate and effective support to children, families and individuals with disabilities who are in need, which is wonderful. And I imagine Mazigir Topaidi thought, oh, what a gesture, this is marvellous, much-needed funds, rubbing hands together, glances down at the Sitsipas Brothers doubles record and heart sinks. (laughs) (laughs) Or frankly... Stefanos's doubles record alone is enough to make the heart sink. Yeah, he'd lost 16 of his last 17 doubles matches. That one win was a retirement after one game during the ATP <laughs> Cup. 
<laughs> and in that time, he'd partnered his brother. He'd partnered Koreshi, Zimanich, Kulhoff, Federer, Nadal, Kyrgios, and Pervolarakis, and hadn't managed to win a completed match with any of them. I think since May 2019. But finally, so best fa- partnered Federer and Nadal. Well, in Lever Cup, which oh. I, yeah. I normally object to Lever Cup coaching records. from Federer and Nadal and Federer and Nadal <laughs> oh, during yeah. that period. Yeah, and it still couldn't get him a win. I mean, it's <laughs> just when he didn't a understand horrifying the doubles record. Any finger you cross. Um, wasn't wasn't he quite good at it when he first started playing doubles? Um, yeah, well, he was playing with Wesley Kulhoff, and that was a great success. And then Wesley Kulhoff dumped him. I feel like there's a sort of epic movie to be made here. Um, we'd need a sort of final redemptive act involving Kulhoff and Kulhoff calling up Stefanos and begging forgiveness. Um, but Kulhoff openly talked about the fact that he was using sit to pass for his ranking. Um, to get into doubles tournaments. And then when they uh, won, didn't they win Miami? Runners-up in Miami? I think they might have won Miami. Runners-up, I think. Uh, They Mm. definitely did a speech. Yeah, I think it was... Yeah. Yeah. I'm fairly sure there was an eye roll in it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it was was a relationship killer um, because Kulhoff ditched him. And since then, it has been... It's been poor. But anyway, he and his brother got a win yesterday and that's €3,000 for Together for Children. So long may that run continue. Now, I mentioned Rublev is one of the two seeds left in the tournament. He beat Andy Murray um, in the second round. 7-5, 6-2, really close first set. Nip and tuck right up until 5-all. Rublev then broke the Murray serve. Murray had 15-40 to break Rublev immediately back and take it to a tie break. It really was tight that first set second set a lot less so Murray really faded and Rublev just looked like the top 10 player that he is but reasons to be encouraged for sure for Andy Murray it looked very different to me to his first round win over Robin Harser which was scrappy and that win that loss rather last week uh, against uh, Igor Gerasimov as well it looked like a really different kettle of fish to me this match and and you know, pushing Rublev like that. Rublev, what we always say about him is he beats the people he's supposed to beat. He's not someone that's there for the scalping. Um, and, you know, with their rankings and situations, this would have been a massive scalp for Andy Murray. So um, reasons for positivity for both of them, I'd say. And Andy Murray, um, oh gosh, look at this stat. Rublev has won 17 matches in a row at ATP 500s. And he's going for his fourth straight title after Hamburg... St. Petersburg and Vienna, blimey. Right, yeah. okay. He well, turns he's... up, doesn't he? He's, a, he's just yeah. a, a reliable player. You know, I mean, when was the last time Rublev turned up and had a bad loss in an early round? Mm. I can't remember many of those. Yeah, I think there was an ATP official somewhere yesterday saying that that result was good for the movement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good to have you back, Matt. And then there were 10 other ATP officials going, oh. Wish Andy Murray'd won. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would just to say I don't want to put a dampener on the Rublev stuff, but I, I suppose you could argue for, for very understandable reasons he didn't quite turn up at the ATP Finals in London. Yeah, but yeah. The, but that was playing that that was that was playing people ranked above. Yeah, him, he broadly. looked so he looked a little bit out of his depth there, didn't he? But on paper, you'd probably say he should lose to all the ones he faced. Um, mm. But that's his next level, really. 
Yeah. So Ribble have got the win seven five six two. Uh, Andy Murray, we mentioned his mentioned his pre tournament press conference uh, in Rotterdam on Monday. Well, he's been really going for it with opening up in press conferences. I know that's kind of what we've come to expect from Andy Murray, but it feels like, you know, considering it's all over Zoom and remote and it can be quite hard to to probe in those sorts of situations and, and reach a sort of comfort level conducive to, you know, fireside chatting. Uh, Andy Murray has been giving a lot um, of late and particularly this week and his post-match press conference with Andre, Andre Rublev was very interesting indeed. Here's a clip of Andy Murray after he's asked by Anna Crooks of uh, the Press Association whether whether he should cut himself a bit more slack, be less hard on himself, both kind of on the court and off the court in terms of what he's expecting of himself. Yeah, I mean, it, look, in certain instances, it would probably help. Um, but like I said tonight, like, the mistakes that I made in the important moments are not down to, you know, any physical issues that I've had. Um, you know, like at the US Open when I played the match against Felix, for example, like I'm not going to analyze that match because physically I was struggling. Um, whereas tonight I felt fine physically. Um, I was playing pretty well. And then in the important moments I didn't. And that's, I want to have like the highest standards and I want to set the bar like as high as possible because yeah, I just feel like if you don't do that, this is just for me, everyone's different. But for me, I feel like if you set just like an average kind of standard and be like, accept kind of mediocrity and reach that target of being average, then that's not the same as setting like the highest standards of like, okay, I'm going to try to be the best in the world you'll do everything that you possibly can to to reach that standard. And if you don't get there, that's okay. So like after a match, I can be, you know, I can be okay if I've, if I've set those standards. Whereas I would hate to come off like a match tonight and be like, yeah, like great work, Andy. You did really, really well up till the end of that first set. Don't worry about the end of the first set. Just focus on those eight games because I just, for me, I just don't learn quickly that way like I like to focus on the, the the what the issue is and what the problem is and really understand why that's happened so that I know what I need to work on um and yeah that's that's how I like to work everyone's different obviously but that's what works <laughs> what works best for me but yeah I would like to be kinder to to myself when I'm on the court I'd say it's <laughs> Probably unlikely that that's ever going to happen, but I'll try. Yeah, and if you ever do want to know what Andy Murray considers to be the issue at any given moment on a tennis court, just tune in and turn up the volume. It's generally sort of some unspecified nonsense uh, that he considers to be <laughs> to be the problem. It's such a thrill ride watching him and listening to him at the moment, and I I just loved that answer from him. I really did. Yeah, I, I I sat through the whole press conference uh, last night, and and that followed his own dissection of his performance, which itself followed all of us in the media. I think to a person saying, "Oh, reason to be encouraged there. That was a good. That was a good performance from Andy Murray. He he pushed Andre Rublev in the first set, and Rublev played really well. 
couple of double faults from Murray. Yeah, disappointing. But, you know, big steps in the right direction. Lots of reason to be encouraged. Murray absolutely was crestfallen in that first answer about his own failings in that match. And he was not prepared to accept any of this optimism that we were coming up with I mean you heard some of it in that second answer which was which was even better just such a fascinating insight into how his mind works but just not acceptable not good enough got to get better can't you know and and he he's so used to being able to to do better than that in his career if he's fully fit and that's the part he can't accept because he knows what he's supposed to be able to do and that wasn't it and which I which I I loved, and and I think mostly it sh- it just showed me how completely all in he is on this comeback. There is no faffing around here. There is no token comeback. Let's see if it works out or not. I mean, look, if it, if eventually he thinks it's not going to work out, he will pull out and he will pull away, and he will I think be okay with that. But I wasn't really prepared for a person who's seemingly as obsessed with making this work as he is right now and you saw that on court and you saw it because and his behavior was classic murray he came out onto that court so pumped up to show one of these next geners a thing or two the way he did with Zverev last year oh he was he was throwing everything he got and i love the way rublev stood up for himself and just went toe to toe and and I suspect we didn't get to interview Rublev but my my guess is that he he probably reveres Andy Murray and was really you know proud of himself for coming through that match and and honored to share the court with him in that way um but in the press comments Murray's body language he was so um antsy and amped up about everything that had gone on and this is the first step of many you can see and if he can just stay fit I know that's a big if and I know we've said it before but I'm saying it in a way I didn't feel last year I thought it was pretty much over I thought I don't see how this is doable if he can stay fit his strength of character his determination is going to drag him and I mean obviously he's his sheer ability but god he's so determined it's frightening how determined he is and it's now what do I play? Well, he's got. He said he wants to play Dubai. He wants to play Miami, and then there are question marks. Clay, whether it's challenges on hard court, etc. But crikey, it's um, it, it's overwhelming how determined he is. I think he'd play the Solihull Open if you sorted him <laughs> a wild card, David. Well, you know, you can play the winner out of me in Solihull, Simon, if you likes. <laughs> so Simon then. <laughs> Sorry, that's an absolute open goal. Sorry. <laughs> My record's quite good at the moment. I'll have you know, pre-lockdown. <laughs> Did you just eye roll? I'm just taking it in. He <laughs> um, was very interesting on those next steps, wasn't he, Murray? Because he said there's a real balance to be found between playing enough matches so that he rediscovers the form he wants but also playing matches at the high level that he talked about in that answer. So he gains the information that he needs. He, he talked about dropping down to challenges is always an option for him. But what he really wants to be doing is playing tour level events and gaining that information and learning. So it's sort of balancing his instincts with what he's ready for, I think is is quite difficult for him at the moment. But hopefully 
Hopefully he can get a draw that breaks and not have mm. to play a Rublev in round two so he can he can make a bit more progress in these tournaments because I imagine it is really frustrating for him to make bad mistakes at bad times because he's a top player and top players don't do that. That's how they build their careers, by playing well at the right time. But we saw yesterday there's there's a lot of good tennis still still in Andy Murray and when you when you combine that with that determination i certainly think he can he can still have some far better results than what we're seeing at the moment mm. i mean yeah he, it feels like he's due a decent draw at one of those events we've also got Kleisters coming back from her comeback uh in miami and charleston um I mean, has anyone ever picked a worse time to have a comeback? Poor Kim Kleister's <laughs> just awful. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, th- I also think of the Bryan brothers who announced their farewell tour, and it, you know, oh. poor blokes—they just couldn't do it. I really hope they get a proper send-off somewhere mm. this year. Um, but yeah, Kim Kleister's is kind of one of the little bonuses of of tennis resuming because I'd kind of forgotten about her coming back, and yeah, the, the idea that we'll get to see a bit more of her is great. Mm. She'll yeah, as I say, she'll play Miami and Charleston. A couple of results from last week uh, that I failed to apprise you of on Monday, um, in large part because we didn't have Matt with us. So sort of South American news fell somewhat uh, by the wayside. Um, Alexi Popperin won his first ATP title in Singapore. He beat the aforementioned uh, Bublik four six six love six two in the final. He'd also beaten. Marin Cilic uh, en route to that title. Career high ranking for Popperin at 82. I saw the pictures of him um, in the moment of victory and a, a clip of him. That meant the world to him, that title. And it just goes to show, you know, OK, that will be one of the weakest draws, Singapore, that, that we've seen in 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 men's tennis in, in recent times for a whole bunch of reasons. But that presents opportunity for someone hungry enough and committed enough and and Popperin sees that opportunity and it really looked like it meant the world to him so so good for him uh, we've also had <clears throat> Matt has found a new he's ditched Carlos Alcaraz there's a there's a new <laughs> kid in town folks right we've got 19 year old I mean Matt has written like eight bullet points on this kid we've got 19 year old Juan Manuel Querendolo how did I do no, Serendolo. Go on, Matt. No, so there's an there's an accent on the U, so that that's where the emphasis is. Is it a hard C or a soft C? Let's. It's a th. th- oh crikey, Matt, just do Juan it properly Man- for us. I th- I thought the he South he Americans might say sir. He might he might he might make it an S. Yeah, so it could be Juan mm. Manuel. Didn't think of that, did you, Matt? Serundolo. Mm. Mm. Right, Juan Manuel Serundolo. Nailed it. Mm. Uh, he won the Cordoba Open on his ATP debut. Uh, he entered the event as a qualifier, having never played an ATP Tour match and having a 7-7 win-loss record on the Challenger Tour. He became the first player to win a title on his ATP debut since Santiago Ventura. Literally never heard of him, so not perhaps the biggest footsteps to follow you have come on we've seen him before yeah Santiago Ventura yeah I I always think of Ace Ventura whenever I hear his name um (laughs) but I mean I'm sure he's played Andy Murray in the past I've I've definitely seen him play before maybe maybe I need a visual anyway Santiago Ventura did that in Casablanca in 2004 
Um, it marked the second time that the Cordoba Open had been won by a player who hadn't previously won an ATP Tour match. Juan Ignacio Londero did it in 2019. I think the point I'm facetiously trying to make is that these aren't names that necessarily say future great of the game, with all due respect to those two those two names. Um, and finally, at number 335 in the rankings, Serundolo is the fifth lowest ranked title winner on the ATP Tour since... Uh, Leighton Hewitt, Pablo Andujar, Fernando Gonzalez and Tommy Haas. How good is he going to be, Matt? Is this the point where I say that I know all of that but have never seen him play tennis? Yes. I I think you just did, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there there was a lot going on last week. I I did not watch the Cordoba Open. Um, You've definitely made up for it with the bullet points, Matt. I I know he's left-handed. I know he has a brother who's a little bit older than him and was also in the draw, I think. But yeah, I, I really... fashion that, I, isn't it? I really could not say that much. But obviously this is impressive and is the sort of result that makes me want to watch him in the future, find out what it's mm. all about. Yes, we will earmark Serundolo or Therundolo um, and uh, watch out for him in future draws. I, I uh, just realised, by the way, uh, how I know Santiago Ventura... First ever player to be beaten on the ATP Tour by Andy Murray. Wow. 2005, first round of Queens. Queens? Yeah. That's why I know he is. Do you know, I wouldn't wouldn't have got that in a quiz question. I mean, evidently. My lack of knowledge about Santiago Ventura has been very much exposed (laughs) in this podcast. My credibility is in tatters. Uh, Last bit of news before we move on to... Uh, our listener questions is that Marcus Willis, the will bomb has retired from tennis. Um, Of course, everyone will remember him mostly for his run through pre-qualifying and qualifying uh, to play Roger Federer in the second round of Wimbledon in 2014, 2016, I think. Oh, oh my God. It it doesn't feel that recent. Yeah. That feels like a hundred years ago to me. (laughs) Doesn't it? No, well, not to you. I mean, I I sort of feel both, really. I kind of feel it feels recent to me in some ways, in that I I remember interviewing him later on that year, and he was really determined to try and crack top hundred one day if he could. And um, I mean, he's had a number of injury issues, and and his his motivation has come and gone. I mean, he's over the whole career; it's gone up and down. It's just the way it's been for him, um, but. I'll never ever forget his run. I um, mean, it was it was that was the year Andy Murray won his second Wimbledon, and yet the first week of that tournament, he was the star. He was the story. People were. I remember on Five Live, we were more interested in his in covering his ma- first two matches than we were Andy Murray's first two matches. Really, just the, the he just totally stirred up a nation that people were intoxicated by his run. He, I think he beat Daniel Medvedev and Andre Rublev on the way before they were known. Um, and uh, and he he played that first round. I think I think he beat Ricardus Barankis, your old he friend. He did, yeah. Um, and uh, his face he, lit up. Um, <laughs> people, um, people were standing in the crowd waving their shoes, weren't they? Saying, shoes off if you love Will Bomb. <laughs> they were. <laughs> And it was never quite never... clear why. No, why I never that was really understood case. that, but it was just funny. And um, yeah, 
It was just like this bloke from down the pub who plays at the local club. Who that's how it came across. Who's suddenly at Wimbledon and he's ripping it up and he can really play and he got a lob over the head of, Un- of Roger Federer and got shot of the championship for it. Oh, <laughs> Federer loved it. He loved the whole story. Yeah, he'll always have that moment on centre court against his hero, won't he? And uh, he gave that to all of us and it really, it's yeah, you've done a great job of um, reminding us all how much of a moment that was. Um, it, yeah, I think... People might not remember the name, but I think if you showed showed the nation, certainly the British nation, a picture of him on Centre Court Wimbledon, everybody, most people's mind would would be would be jumped by that. So happy retirement and shoes off for for Marcus Willis. One last time, everyone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right then, uh, we have not much remaining time for listener questions curated by Simon Pearce. Uh, so I want punchiness, please. Yeah. No time for eye rolls, lightning only round. punchiness. Yes, exactly like a lightning round. Um, right then, Simon has chosen uh, the following, and this is from Sam Amigate House on Twitter, I think. Um, thoughts on the best of five debate. Why not have a games one threshold that the losing player must reach after two sets to trigger five sets? It might incentivize players to win bigger and faster and add a new tactic to the game. Now, I'd just like to combine this question with one from our Instagram um, because my answer to the question um, answers both 
these questions. Um, and that question is, what one thing from tennis can people take on board to help them in life? Um, and they also say, what one thing would you, would you from tennis, would you say has been a bad influence on society? Well, just to answer the first part of that question, I think the answer is the fact that it doesn't matter what score you win or lose a set by. That set is over and the match resets. You can win the first set six love and you can win the next two six love, six love. And it really doesn't matter whether it was a tie-break first set and you were brilliant and you fought your heart out or whether it was an absolute disaster. Um, it's It's gone. And I think that is a a fantastic kind of not a lesson but um a little exemplar of sort of minds of a mindset that would be healthy for us all to be able to adopt easier said than done and i think that is the same reason that while i think there are virtues in that suggestion about having to to reach hold reach a threshold of games won uh, in a best of five set match in order to to, to trigger it becoming a best of five. Um, I love that you could win, you could lose two sets, love and love, and you're still in the match. I love that about tennis. And I think it's quite important, actually. I think it, although, although it might seem to kind of come into play quite rarely, that there would be a momentum shift of, of anything like that scale, it's important that it's possible. I think it's really fundamental to the beauty of tennis scoring that that is possible. And for that reason, I don't want to lose it. I agree. And I would just say I don't like watching tennis whilst mathematics are going on in my head. Um, I, I just, I, that's the problem I have with the ATP finals. As much as I love the event, I don't, I don't like having to do sums. Uh, I'm not very good at them, but I don't like doing it anyway. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah. Full house. I think if you if you were to change something about those first two sets of a five set match, you might as well get rid of five set tennis. I think, as you've said, the fact that it's possible to make that comeback from any position when you're down two sets to love is one of the things that is great about five set tennis. Um, mm. So I, I agree with everything you've both said. It was Warren Broadbent on our Instagram that asked the the second part of that question. Next one. Is there such a thing as a straight set classic? That is from at user 11 name 11 on Twitter. Yes, there is. 100%. I agree 100% there is. But I spent half an hour this morning trying to think of one and I couldn't. So yeah, I was going to say that was my that was my gut reaction. Yes, of course there is because the tennis scoring system allows for there to be a classic within a straight sets match because you can still have momentum swings, you can still have tight moments, you can still have both players playing well at the same time, and all of those things I think are what make a classic match. Then I was racking my brain trying to think of just one example and really, really struggling. I came up with. Federer Djokovic in the 2012 um, 02 final was excellent. Mm. That was straight sets. And I remember Kerber Serena Wimbledon final from 2016 being excellent. But would they be classics? I think probably not. So I'm very much open to whether David has any. My mum submitted the 2013 Murray Djokovic Wimbledon final. Oh, yeah. But, th- but that was because of context. 
mm. rather yeah. than the actual match being a classic. So, I, I would go one of the best matches I've ever seen at Queen's was um, the final between Nadal and Djokovic in 08. And I think that that mm-hmm. was 7-5, 7-6. And every rally, I, and I think what it was, that was a tennis that we'd never seen at Queen's before. We'd never seen Nadal at his best, and this was the first time. We'd, he played a few times. It was, the, I think, only maybe the second time we'd ever seen Djokovic at the tournament. And this was, the, this was over. he was a, a, a Grand Slam champion by then because he'd won the Australian Open. And here they were showcasing what they'd got right on in front of us on grass at on centre court and they both played really well um, and it was so close and the rallies you just didn't see rallies like that uh, on grass at Queen's before I hadn't anyway and um, and it felt on a knife edge even though it was straight sets and that was the beauty of it mm. yeah great great David has found some examples to validate uh, what we thought was the case that's excellent uh, next question I'm not going anywhere near this one because it is, it's predictions based and it's a hospital pass. Good luck, folks. Uh, this is from Fiona Sullivan on Twitter, putting together what we know now, which is incredibly little, Fiona. Um, what is our best prediction of what Federer can achieve when he returns? Should should be said, by the way, that he's confirmed that he doesn't intend to play Miami. So it'll be Doha and Dubai. Uh, and then his next competitive tennis, all being well, will be the clay. What's he going to do? Well, a little bit of insight for you. Uh, From Dubai, where he's been preparing for Doha, and he's been hitting with Dan Evans over there. Um, I think Karen Hatchinov was there as well before he went to Rotterdam. Um, Well, I found out about Evans being over there, so I asked him, how's Roger hitting him then? And he says he's hitting him just fine. that 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 was how far that went. Um, but I have another source in Dubai uh, who tells me that Federer uh, not only has him in awe um, in terms of just how interested he still seems to be in terms of learning from his coach. His coach is dishing out instructions while he was practicing and he seems absolutely totally bought into this, into whatever he's been told. He also says he's the only man in his late 30s in Dubai that's ever looked good in a Mickey Mouse T-shirt. So Roger Federer's been wearing a Mickey Mouse T-shirt, um, but from from what what I can understand, I mean he's he's practicing hard, and I think, and and I and I also take from an Andy Murray line in the press conference last night when he was it was great great conversation when he was asked final question by Rob Moore of uh, the Sun, he was asked whether. And he has any sort of sympathy for Roger Federer because of the ongoing injury problems he's had over the last year. And, and Murray did that great thing when he went, sympathy, <laughs> like that. And <laughs> and uh, and uh, Rob sort of, you know, it, it slightly altered it and said, well, empathy maybe. And Murray gave this very, very interesting answer about how top players don't have empathy for each other. They're not very good at empathy. Um, but the... He said, in terms of Federer, he said, I, if if you put him up there, he, I back his skills to be better than virtually everybody else that he'll end up playing, even even now. I don't think his skills will have diminished. He will still be able to to handle himself just fine. Um, obviously, we don't know how the body will stand up to the rigors of what it's going to be asked to do. 
But oh. I have a feeling that this could be another grandstand finish, you know. Oh, he went there. Don't know about you, Matt, but I wasn't expecting that. Can I just clarify what David said? Did David say Grand Slam finish or Grand Stand Grandstand finish? Grandstand finish. Yeah, I think oh, he could reach... I take well, it all look, back. I th- <laughs> okay, put it this way. I, I would not be at all surprised if he reached either the Wimbledon or the US Open final or the, or the Olympic final. I think I think that one of those is very much doable. And if he's in a final, yes, he can. He can win one. Of course, he can. I thought I thought that's still quite punchy, but unfortunately, I thought you'd say said Grand Slam finish, <laughs> and I now feel disappointed. <laughs> but had I not misheard in the first place, I'd be impressed with your mm. your punchiness, David. But I think he's going to get to the Wimbledon final. Can I say he'll get to either the Wimbledon final or the Olympics final? I, I would take out the US Open. I don't feel as strong mm. about his chances there over five sets on a hard court. His body has let him down recently. It'll have been 12 years since he won mm. it. Um, I did read some interesting wow. quotes from Pierre Paganini recently in, in Swiss press, Federer's physical trainer who has been a mainstay of his team and is absolutely fundamental, I think, in Federer's career both in terms of helping him for his longevity and also initially, I think, getting Federer more invested in that side of the sport. Um, He was saying it is a very different situation to 2016-17 because when he returned in 2017, his, his muscles were still there. Whereas the break has been so long this time, it's been, there's been a lot more to build up. Um, He said he's like lockdown times 12 (laughs) months, really, isn't it? And he said Federer's regained the strength that he had, but we need to see how the muscles react to match play, which you just can't replicate in training. And we're really concentrating on speed because we think that is going to be so important for Federer being able to hang with the top players. But he did say, you know, Federer's patience has been amazing throughout the whole thing and his desire and love for it all is completely undiminished. Um, what he had when he returned in 2017 was a freedom about him and about his tennis. And if he can rediscover that, which I kind of think he will, then he then he could be so dangerous. So yeah, I'm 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 sticking with a Wimbledon final or an Olympics final, possibly possibly grabbing one of them. I think we'll learn something in Doha and Dubai, but the goal fundamentally is the same. It's all about the summer for Federer. Mm. I think I agree. I think I agree. Wimbledon final is completely not unlikely because has the game moved on? It's hard to say it has. I mean, okay, the chases have got better. Did, you know, did the, your Medvedevs and your Sitsa passes have, have got closer and, and team has won a slam, but I don't think any of those are winning Wimbledon. Well, uh, And the other thing so, is where, does, where he ends up in that draw because, it, mm, I, I mean, I true. think that there's no... Okay, he got to match point against Djokovic, which was an incredible feat, and Djokovic was below his best, and Federer was very, very good that day. But I don't think you could yeah. really back him to beat no, Djokovic. That's true. That's a good caveat. Mm. Uh, next question. If you could choose current players, ATP and WTA, with respect to surface stadium, surface and stadium for any match, what would it be? This is from... 
Archit Suresh, I think also on Twitter. Uh, and that suggestion is fed against Kyrgios, brackets, no tank, good specification, on grass inside the John Kane arena, which I'm very much here for. Uh, we need to be punchy, folks. My submission is Andrescu against Osaka on grass inside the Arthur Ashe Stadium. Oh, yeah, please. That'll be good. Can I just substitute Federer for Djokovic and have what the previous <laughs> correspondent said? Yep. Yeah. You Full sure house, can. Djokovic against Kyrgios, John Kane Arena. Pick your surface. Done. I don't care. Great call, David. Um, hmm. I, I think I would go slightly less fantastical and try and get an answer to a question that I have. And that would probably be Sviontek versus Osaka at one of the hardcore Grand Slams. Because I think oh, yeah. I think that could be a shot-making extravaganza. It could. Can, can I, I also think, have... I think one a, day you'll get that, mm. Matt. Could, could I have mine over two legs? Because I'd like the return leg to be Kyrgios against um, uh, Djokovic in Davis Cup in Belgrade. Sure. Yeah, I'm here I for all of it. Have as many this, legs David. as you like, David. <laughs> Because just imagine Kyrgios against the Serbian hardcore crowd. I mean, that would be amazing. Okay, final question. Oh, this is the uh, the Queen's one I was looking for. Final question. This is from Elena Poser, chosen by Simon. How do you feel about staging a tournament at Queen's during the second week of Wimbledon, a la the Phillip Island Trophy? And she also adds, why is Queen's not a male and female event? I'm presumably... Uh, Ele- uh, Elena, Elena, I think Elena actually. Presumably, Elena is just looking for more reasons to have uh, penguins involved in trophy ceremonies, which I'm, I'm very much here for. Um, I mean, it sounds like a great idea to me, but the the grass wouldn't allow it. I don't think it's even conceivable because because of the grass, right? Well, the sheer number of people. Play, no, I mean you can't. There's, you can only play on grass for so, for so long. The, yeah, I mean, I mean after after Queens, the grass gets ripped up and reseeded for the next year, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I mean it, that that is. A, I do remember the the year that Britain played France in the Davis Cup on that court, and it was an incredible job to have to try to re prepare it for that, and they pulled it off. Um, yeah, I mean it's um, it's definitely something I can see why the the logic to it from that standpoint but, but you're right i mean that is problematic i mean i also think that, that there is already a pretty good system in place with eastbourne to be able to go to uh for the week after and that's that's a really nice tournament and a good set of facilities in terms of why queens isn't a men's and women's tournament i mean i think there is a, a sort of facilities issue of just sheer size for a start i mean you know it's a clubhouse it's an old-fashioned clubhouse um generally speaking it's it's difficult to 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 make it all work as it is it really is size wise in terms of the sheer number of people and you basically have to double it um so i just i don't know whether that's doable really uh certainly in one week um and then if you do back-to-back weeks you've got the issue of the grass problem in terms of the idea of there being a tournament during the second week of a slam. I quite enjoyed that. I I must say, I didn't watch a lot of it because focus was obviously on the slams. But from a playing perspective, it makes sense, especially if at the moment we want to get as many events in the same place 
at one time as possible and sort of creating this idea of a swing that you talked about on Monday, I think it would make a trip worthwhile, particularly at the moment when travel is difficult for players who lose in round one, if they could then enter another tournament on, at the same venue in, uh, or very nearby in week two. So I, I do quite like that as, as an idea, but I agree. I think at Queen's it would be just too hard to get the grass ready within a couple of weeks. Maybe once Queen's qualifying moves to, sorry, maybe once Wimbledon qualifying moves to to Wimbledon itself, once they've completed the expansion across the road into the golf club, maybe Roehampton, where they currently have Wimbledon qualifying, could become a venue for a second week Wimbledon tournament. I've just had a great idea accidentally. <laughs> Make it so, and ca- tennis. And the, and, and the, keep, the Catherine keep Whitaker Open is born. Yeah. Yeah, where they let dogs in, like they do for Wimbledon qualifying. <laughs> yeah, great. Oh, I see. I see no downsides. David, uh, we've time for. Oh, Matt wants to say. Sorry, something. I was just going to say. You mentioned dogs, and I did. Nur Sultan mm-hmm. had. Yeah. What was that? They had rescue dogs on the court. Mm. I don't know why, Matt. Lovely idea. But it was wonderful. I I know about that because we got tagged in the Instagram post about. 80 times by people saying I think Catherine would love this idea <laughs> and I did I really did there's um the, the the players are posing with them there's one with a, a little puppy on a tennis racket uh there's one of a a sort of uh, a larger dog sitting up on its hind legs um doing a side eye at the camera there's one of a player I couldn't tell who who the players are because they're all wearing masks um but he's lounging in a sort of David Brent type pose with the dog also sort of lounging <laughs> what in front of him What you bring this up for Matt? Yeah sorry <laughs> It's all sensational Thank thanks for bringing that up David I've one more question and it's aimed at you it's from Russell Miller on Instagram and it is right, in an old in an alternate universe, David is a professional tennis player. Yeah. So we'll just take a take a moment to suspend <laughs> suspend our critical faculties. He has to practice with one player for two full weeks in the quarantine period before the Australian Open. He's stuck with two remaining options: Riley Apelka or Borna Chorich. Who are you picking? Riley Apelka. Come on, he's the he's such a less good practice partner yeah but I'd, we'd have a few knockabouts and it's a few game style wise Chorich the... is the dream I think for a practice well, partner yeah but I'm not really interested in, in honing my skills I just want to knock the ball around with Riley and then go to the pub you think you're going to go to the pub with Riley Apelka yeah David you're supposed to be imagining an alternate universe in which you're a professional tennis player yeah and you're challenging for the Australian Open works for Nick Kyrgios you can, <laughs> well you know, well, I mean, you could argue that it really doesn't. Well, he's doing all right. I'm happy okay. with 30 in the world. That'll do me. <laughs> I feel like you're squandering your talent. <laughs> Whatever talent you have in this alternate universe, you're squandering it. And we had many, many more questions on social media. I'm sorry that there isn't time for all of them. We'll inevitably be doing more, more of these shows um, over the course of the year in the future because... The quality of the questions is always so high and um, I'm sure you'd agree that Simon has done a brilliant job in uh, composing and selecting them. So thank you, Simon. Uh, it's been it's been a real treat to answer those questions. Thank you also to Alfie 
our mascot for this week. Some photos have come in of Alfie, and not just photos, a whole folder of photos has come have, has come in of Alfie. Uh, very enjoyable indeed. Alfie has incredible ears. If you'd like to see those ears, you can do so on our newsletter. He's a sort of creamy white hound and he has a sister called Cody and it's all it's all just lovely. Uh, my mascot is Zeus. Zeus, we picked Sitsapass this week and he remains alive in singles and doubles. David? We, we, we better put Alfie on uh, Instagram, I think, for anybody who's missed the newsletter. Yes, now I've out. bigged up his ears. I think yeah. the people We'll, we'll, need to we'll see stick them. Alfie on, on, on Instagram, yeah. David, you've let Rogue down already this week. Sorry, Rogue. Next week, mate. Matt, who did you and Scouse and Mouse will go for? Maria Zachary. Oh, I was, I was chasing big points this week. She plays Muguruza today. Mm. Good luck. I am quite concerned yeah. about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Billy Jean, who uh, is absent from my flat today, I booked her into daycare uh, in order to avoid shenanigans while recording the podcast. I'm trying to be more professional. Or Billy Jean is anyway. Uh, she's sponsored by Billy Jean King. Words that will never become old. Uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer and he is a top bloke. And our shout out to Matt are four. Sarah Lewis. Oh, hello, right, Sarah. Sarah. Thanks for your support. I mean, we, there's any number of directions we could go there. The initial thought that popped into my head was uh, Lewis Inspector Mor- uh, Morse's sidekick, after which, well, he, he had his own spin off show, didn't he? Mm. Lewis. Yeah. My parents are big fans. Yeah. Right, there you go. Oh, good. Carry on. Uh, Grace Onions, who we know. Oh, hello, Grace. All right, Grace. That is a cracking name. Yeah. Grace has been with us for years. We love Grace. Yeah. yeah. And finally, Alyssa Lee. Oh, Hello, name. Alyssa Lee. All right, Alyssa. Thanks ever so much. Um, again, any number of directions I could go here. Uh, Bruce Lee. Yeah. Rumoured to be still alive and working as an undercover police officer in Hong Kong. Oh, blimey. Yep. I didn't know. Yeah. Thanks, I mean, Alyssa. obviously he's not in the same way that, you know, Elvis is rumoured to be still alive. Obviously not. Um, but those are the conspiracy theories and those are very much in fashion at the moment. So there you go. Thanks, Alyssa, <laughs> for your support. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to our newsletter. Matt, how how would you rate your stat out of 10 this week? I'll give it a 9.5 last week's. We read it out. It was uh, Serundolo. Oh, yeah. I've given the how'd stat you, how, away. How do you think we got all that info? It's because <laughs> we, re- we read the newsletter, or I did. <laughs> right. Well, there's other reasons to subscribe to the newsletter, not not spoiled in the podcast many of them go and go and check out Alfie's ears they're great um and tell your friends leave us an itunes review do all that stuff thanks for listening we'll be back on monday talking about tennis we'll speak to you then Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.